The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, Elon Musk is now the richest person on the planet. More than half the satellites in space are owned and controlled by one man. Starting his own artificial intelligence company. Well, he's a legitimate super genius. I mean, legitimate. He says he's always voted for Democrats, but this year it will be different. He'll vote Republican. There is a reason the U.S. government is so reliant on him. Elon Musk is a scam artist and he's done nothing. Anything he does yeah. is fascinating to yeah. people. Welcome to Elon Inc., where we discuss Elon Musk's vast corporate empire, his latest gambits and antics, and how to make sense of it all. I'm your host, Joel Weber, sitting in for David Papadopoulos. I know I must be incredibly racist if I just want someone who knows how to fly the damn plane, not someone who got in because they checked a couple boxes and maybe there's a big boy in the room to teach them how to do it in case something goes wrong. What is Donald Trump Jr. talking about? And what does it have to do with Elon Musk? more than you might think. To discuss Elon's recent French posts about undocumented immigrants and corporate diversity initiatives and more, we'll convene Davy Alba, who covers tech and misinformation here at Bloomberg News. Hi. Dana Hole, the world's most meticulous Tesla reporter. Good morning. And Max Chapkin, senior reporter at Bloomberg Businessweek. Hello. Later this episode, we'll also talk about the latest Tesla drama. But first, what has Elon been posting about on X, Davy Alba? Oh boy. I mean, there's been a lot. Recently, he's been talking about how HBCU grads have lower IQ, how cis is a heterophobic word. He's been talking a lot about quote unquote illegals, particularly, you know, sort of illegal immigrants and their voting patterns. And that this idea of meritocracy that is very prevalent in tech, that competence must win over racism and sexism. And yeah, there's a lot to dig into there. What's also interesting, he seems to be noisier lately than usual. Yeah, I mean, I would point to a report by the Institute for Strategic Dialogue that I read recently. And they basically tracked Elon's, you know, sort of pattern of posting and topics that he's been writing on X from before he was the owner of the platform to the months after. And before, you know, most of his rhetoric was around crypto. It was around Tesla and SpaceX and the other companies that he owned. And then once he was the owner of Twitter, he started interacting very frequently with right-wing users. And, you know, this is not anecdotal. It's based on an analysis of his most popular posts and, you know, just kind of like who he follows, who he replies to. And, you know, we see that that changed after he acquired Twitter, which I think is notable. I think that says something about his information bubble, kind of like, 
what he's up to <laughs> in some ways and, you know, gives us a sense of like where this is all leading. Max, what is happening in Elon's information bubble? And and let's bring back that that Don Jr. reference that we started the show with. What, what's he being exposed to? Yeah, so the latest thing, Davey kind of hinted at it, and that Don Jr. clip uh, gets at it, is basically the idea that somehow diversity caused the door of the Alaska Airlines flight to, to, to blow off. Now, again, this doesn't make a lot of sense. It's based on, as far as I can tell, a right-wing influencer sort of doing a kind of a tortured reading of a Boeing SEC proxy that talked about executive compensation and and linking executive compensation to meeting diversity metrics in addition to safety. And so you go through like several logical leaps and the suggestion is that somehow diversity is hurting the ability of airlines and and plane companies and and regulators to hire competent people and and like you know hop skip and a jump to somehow DEI is to blame for these in-air issues it is nonsense it's nonsense both in the sense that you know it's there's no evidence that like air travel has gotten less safe right air travel is historically extremely safe so that that part doesn't make any sense the other thing is there certainly is a critique to be made of Boeing, and but I think if you talk to critics of Boeing, that what they will talk about ha- has more to do with sort of the need to meet quarterly earnings challenges and so on. And what I what I also think is that basically what we're seeing is like Elon Musk, he's sort of broadcasting these existing right wing memes, but he's bringing them to a much wider audience. Right? He found this Boeing thing. He didn't he didn't create it himself, but it goes from Elon Musk into Don Jr. and and to a much, much wider audience than it otherwise would have had uh, before. Just to connect the dots a bit more, United Airlines program partners with Hampton University in Virginia, Elizabeth City State University in North Carolina, and Delaware State University. Those are historically Black colleges, and the partnership allows graduates to get an interview with United Airlines pilot program. And Elon's tweet, if we look at it verbatim, he said it will take an airplane crashing and killing hundreds of people for them to change this crazy policy of D-I-E, a play on D-E-I. There's so many problems with that argument. First of all, this kind of partnership is just kind of like a chance to interview and the idea that HBCU grads have lower IQ on just in general is completely baseless. And I think it's worth just stating that as fact as we lay this out for for our audience. One thing that really that I just keep thinking about whenever I see these posts, I really struggle with like how much to call Elon out on them because calling him out also kind of like shares them, right? So it's like that whole thing of like amplification, like unwittingly amplifying as a journalist. And so I always am on the fence about how much to even talk about it because I feel like we're doing Elon's work for him of, of injecting these horrible ideas into the mainstream. But the thing that I always think about is, his companies are incredibly diverse. And it's so striking to me that he is on this rampage about DEI when Tesla, for example, is a minority-majority company. Like, those factory workers are overwhelmingly Latinx, Black, 
you know, Filipino. I mean, there are ERG groups at all of his companies. There's women at SpaceX. There's black at Tesla. There's LGBTQ at Tesla or there was. And I just have to wonder if he is actively trying to dismantle those groups or if the people who are leading those those employee groups are just going to leave in frustration and not be replaced. It's a real slap in the face to his workers. We should also just like keep in mind the context here is the 2024 presidential campaign. And, you know, much of what Elon Musk is tweeting, you know, it's, it's, it's tempting to be like, well, why is he saying all these horrible things about migrants? Or why is he sort of suddenly fixated on these kind of white nationalistic uh, tropes around, uh, you know, black crime and things like that? And the answer is, it's because it's what Donald Trump and many of the Republican presidential candidates are talking about right now. We are now on the heels of, of Iowa, the yeah, Iowa yeah. caucus, where Trump ran away with it, frankly, right? And so you think all of these recent tweets from Elon over the past week totally was part of the buildup to a political moment in Iowa? I'm just saying that Elon Musk now operates within a conservative media uh, political ecosystem. Like he is like basically, in addition to being the world's richest man, in addition to running a bunch of companies, we, we say that all the time, he is a political figure. He's like simultaneously like Rush Limbaugh and... I don't know, like Warren Buffett. It's it's Lee weird. Iacocca. Yeah, and and so and I I was actually before this podcast trying to think back, like have we had somebody like this in American history? And it's like pretty hard. Like maybe go back to Charles Lindbergh, like where where somebody who has the level of celebrity and power and money that Elon Musk has, alongside the political interest. And, you know, influence and demagoguery like it. I, it's pretty unusual. And Howard Hughes will stick with their aeronautic theme, maybe. Well, I don't think Howard Hughes, though, had quite the ambition to be an influencer in the same way. Right. And Lindbergh, of course, was like this celebrity, very admired and also leading up to World War Two you know, an isolationist and giving these big speeches and so on. I was thinking like Ronald Reagan in the in the mid 70s, you know, before he ran for president. But like Reagan by that point was, I think, maybe more of a has-been as a, as a celebrity than, than Elon Musk is today. So it's, I don't know, it's very hard to look for a historical parallel. Most uh, right-wing and left-wing political figures who are sort of doing this kind of, you know, weird stew of conspiracy theorizing and so on, they don't have this kind of money, right? Like, like there are checks on their ability to spread crazy ideas, which is that like media networks won't air their stuff and, and they'll, they start losing money. Elon Musk has, as at least so far, neither of those concerns, right? He owns a media platform and the value of Tesla, while, you know, the stock actually it ha hasn't been doing great over the last uh, week or so, he's obviously still very, very wealthy. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Davey, one of the other themes that came up in some of his tweets was around immigration. What do we know about Elon's views about immigration and how do these recent uh, his recent posts and comments jibe with that? You know, I think that Elon has been, like I said earlier, kind of building up to this argument of, you know, 
illegal immigrants kind of getting the ability to vote in the upcoming election will lead to Democrats being elected. And, you know, if, if you look at just the the last few tweets he had about these quote unquote illegals, the dozens of replies to his tweets are about, you know, oh, well, now we have mail-in ballots. We have, you know, all of these ways to commit voter fraud that has been enabled by Democratic people in power. And so I think that this is all kind of part of Musk courting controversy, which has been the shift since he became owner of X. Max was saying that there isn't really a good comparison to a public figure. But what keeps coming to my mind is Trump, you know, the the way that Trump courts controversy and the way that people are forced to report on him as, you know, first a presidential candidate and then the president. And, you know, this idea of misleading information coming from the top and just because it is a person in power, people are forced to pay attention to it. That gives that person and all the platforms he controls and, you know, for Musk, it's X, way higher profile. I would also say, you know, we, we've talked about the possibility that Musk would sort of move towards Trump. You know, originally he uh, backed Ron DeSantis. He sort of played footsie with uh, RFK and Vivek Ramaswamy, who who dropped out of the race uh, shortly after losing the Iowa caucus. You know, Elon, by t- sort of going, you know, stop the steal or stop the steal curious, he's he has in a bunch of different ways, you know, basically endorsed the idea of being open minded to Donald Trump's view that the 2020 election was being was was stolen. And, and that, you know, it's a way for him to kind of, uh, you know, maneuver himself to where, you know, the heat of the Republican Party is like, I think he misjudged, you know, where Republicans were going initially. And, and now as a part of what's going on with this misinformation is like an effort to tack closer to the sort of heart of the MAGA movement. Where there is certainly a lot of engagement. I, I also like this phrasing, Max, that you said, stop the steal curious, because a lot of folks who spread misleading stuff on social networks often toe this like very delicate line of not exactly crossing directly into misinformation, but are in this space of, well, we're just asking questions about what's going on here, what might be behind, you know, say like this airplane malfunctioning. Could it possibly be that we are hiring unqualified pilots? Could it possibly be because these these pilots are, you know, from historically black colleges and, you know, these sort of just like swirl of just asking questions about it introduces the topic into the public sphere without exactly stating something that is provably false? Dana... How, as a close watcher of Elon for a long time, and just to kind of connect all the things that we've talked talked about from the undocumented immigrants to um, the political ambitions, perhaps, or interests, how do you think his views, Elon's views, have evolved in the time that he's owned X now? Well, I think, yeah, as Max and Davey have pointed out, we definitely see a more open pivot to the right. But I don't think it's been like a hard pivot. I think he's always been, frankly, like a a right-wing libertarian. He just was 
politically astute about where the winds were. And when President Obama was president, you know, he very he kept he kept those ideas under wraps and just like was the green, clean energy person, like, you know, ushering in the, the shift to the electric vehicle revolution. Now that we're in an election season and, you know, I think he's been emboldened by his wealth and has seen so far that nothing has really stopped him. And the, the other kind of context that is always in mind here is that, his empire is under investigation by several agencies. And when it comes to diversity and racism, like remember that Tesla first was sued by the state of California Civil Rights Division and then by the federal EEOC for rampant, systematic, widespread anti-Black racism at their factory in California. And so everything that he does to kind of to sort of call into question DEI, I mean, you know, as a, as an ethos is the backdrop is that his companies are really being like sued by the federal government for that. And so the more that he can kind of amplify his concerns about DEI, the more sort of populist support he gets for whenever the EEOC levies a fine or, you know, whatever the EEOC does. And so it's like a two track thing of him cozying up to Trump, but also really portraying himself as this victim of big government overreach. These lawsuits are ongoing, by the way. And Tesla says that in California, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing conducted a bare-bones investigation without interviewing key witnesses, requesting key documents, or ever stepping foot in the Fremont facility, and that the agency has abandoned its founding purpose in favor of making sensational headlines. Anyway, Max? What's different here is... That in previous, Elon Musk has, as Dana said, he's been pretty politically savvy, right? He's in prior elections, including in 2020, has seemed to try to keep his options open. You know, in 2020, he had sort of backed away from Trump and in some ways turned critic, though he was also saying that, you know, there were things about he was sort of trying to have it both ways a little bit on Trump. And now what we've seen is a much more sort of full throated embrace of of the Republican Party. And 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 he's basically trying to navigate to whoever is going to be the Republican nominee for president. And I think it's because of what Dana is saying. He perceives that the Biden administration has turned against him is, you know, and and is and feels that he needs to make a a, a more, you know, like a full bet on the election, which of course comes with a lot of risk. There's a reason most CEOs like don't do this. And it's because, you, you know, you pick a side and your side loses that that is not always great for you. And both either in terms of kind of like a, from a regulatory perspective or from just like a brand perspective, right? Like you're, you're potentially alienating like half the country. Okay. So last week there was news that Hertz was selling 20,000 EVs to shift back to gas-powered cars as about a third of its EV fleet. This comes after, in 2021, Hertz announced it would buy 100,000 Teslas, also without a discount, full, full price for those. Also in Tesla news, on Monday night, Elon posted on X that he'd like to own 25% of Tesla. He currently owns about 13%. Or he'd just pivot into AI and robotics elsewhere. So let's start with the, the Hertz news, and then we're going to talk about Tesla ownership and maybe even a little bit of board talk. Dana, any particular meaning to what these EV numbers at Hertz are about? 
Yeah, so this is super interesting to me. When when Hertz announced that they were buying all these Teslas, that was like a big moment that led Tesla to get this trillion dollar valuation. And it was this like sign that like EVs had finally really gone mainstream and it was a big part of like the Tesla stock rise. And I've rented Teslas from Hertz several times and it's been a great experience for me. But I think that like for the average person who maybe has never driven an EV re- before, you have to like learn some things about charging and you know, like it hasn't been a seamless experience for everybody. And what happened was Tesla really dropped their prices, which meant the resale value was lower. And then Hertz was kind of left holding the bag because now they own all these cars that have depreciated. And rental car companies typically like they sell off their cars pretty quickly. Max, what's the response been from Elon on this? Has Elon brought it up? I, I think he has attempted to, as the as the kids say, like tweet through it or whatever. Uh, this is kind of a this is a nothing issue compared to you know the question of will CNN ignore Vivek Ramaswamy's chances of winning the Iowa caucus, which he was on you know for days prior to uh, to what happened uh, last night, and 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 now has congratulated Vivek on you know going w- quietly and with dignity or whatever. I, I think uh, Dana has brought up the kind of Hertz side of this. I do think there is a Tesla demand side of this. You, you look at what Hertz is saying, and it, it to me, it seems like they're kind of trying to be nice about it. And they're saying, well, you know, our, our, the demand wasn't there, the repair, they're, they're sort of saying a bunch of things that, that make it sound like, you know, people aren't ex- as excited about EVs as we thought. But of course, people are not as excited about Tesla EVs as they thought. I think that may partly be a result of Elon Musk's crap posting of his of his weird tweets which we talk about all the time and we've been looking for sort of signs like are is this you know gonna maybe hurt demand for the cars i think we're seeing it here the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the carter economic forum powered by bloomberg Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, Dana, let's connect this into the X post that Elon had Monday night, where he currently owns 13% of the company says that he wants to own 25% or he's taken his aspirations for AI and robotics elsewhere. What do you make of that? So it's hilarious. Like here it is like Martin Luther King weekend. Like most people are like trying to, you know, honor Dr. King and enjoy a long weekend. But Musk always does stuff on the weekends when like the beat reporter is not working. <laughs> and the beat reporters on his companies are not working. So this is like sort of classic Elon. So there's there's two things going on. Musk used to own like 22% of Tesla and then he sold shares to buy Twitter. So he's like in this position of not having this like controlling stake because of his own like folly of buying this social media platform. So so that's what that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is that he got incredibly wealthy because of this crazy moonshot compensation package that Tesla's board approved in 2018, where he basically like met these milestones and tranches and then got like more shares as the company hit this this market cap. And it was crazy at the time, but like everyone won, right? Like Tesla did gangbusters. Elon got all this money. He's met all the tranches and he's basically signaling to his board that he wants a new comp plan to stick around. But the current compensation plan is 
like been the, the the subject of this huge lawsuit in Delaware Chancery Court, and the judge has not ruled on that yet. So like, there's no way that like the board is gonna do another comp plan while they're still waiting for the last one to be decided on. But it's clear that there's something happening there. And then finally, what just cracks me up to no end is he's like, Tesla is an AI and a robotics company. It's not just a car company. We're an AI company. I don't know, guys. Like if I don't if I don't have 25 percent, I might just have to take my marbles and go do AI and robotics elsewhere. And it's like, dude, come on. I find it fascinating and hilarious. And I would love to know what the people on the compensation committee of Tesla's board are thinking. But it seems to me like they've got a another plan ready to go, but they're they're waiting for the ruling from Delaware Chancery Court before they spring it out. Yeah, normally you wait till like you're doing something really good before asking for like a massive pay increase, like a like, you know, this would amount to a compensation inc- increase, I don't know, it's like hundreds of billions of dollars conceivably over over some period of time. The thing that's funny to me is like so if I said, you know, guys, yesterday I was thinking a lot and if Bloomberg chooses not to double my salary, I, I might have to do a, a different Elon podcast. You guys would laugh at me because I am. There's no other I'm credible right Elon. <laughs> there's no other credible Elon podcast for me to do. But but in the case of Elon Musk, of course, there is a credible threat because you know he's done this thing with X and Grok, right? Like it it doesn't sound so crazy to think that the board might be like. Oh, geez, like we better watch out or 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 Elon's gonna get all the AI value and 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 stick it in Grok. Forgive me if I'm like wrong about this, but I also wanted to maybe ask Max and Dana, the AI that Elon is doing with Tesla has nothing to do with generative AI and Grok, right? These seem to be completely different spheres. And so is this somewhat of an empty threat? Like this is just like words, rhetoric? It's like like with everything with Elon, everything is related, right? So he is training Tesla's cars to you on AI, like the data they're you know, they're they're using vision. all this AI vision data sets for the cars. But then he's got Optimus, the robot, which he's which is also sort of AI-ish. <laughs> but then he's probably using like the language on on X to train something, but, and then he's going to need like data centers to do all this. And, and like, I could see all the companies intertwine in various ways, but yeah, I mean, I think you raise a good point. Like when he says AI and robotics, I mean, I'm assuming he's, you know, he seems to be clearly talking about Tesla, but then what is he going to do? Like spin off the dojo computer to like a separate company? Like if he doesn't get the 25%, like that's what I'm wondering about. This comes down to the board, right? Like You've asked for a pay increase. The board is waiting on Delaware and a decision in Delaware. Wouldn't the board, I mean, the board is friendly. We know this with Elon, but wouldn't the board just push back and say, no, we don't need to pay you any extra. And also anything that's AI and related to Tesla, you can't take out and go put it in your other company if you're not working for Tesla anymore, right? Ha ha ha, Joel. You think the Tesla board is going to, you know, I I mean, it's like, the funniest thing about this to me is the stated reason for this, why Musk said he needs, you know, a bunch more equity, a huge amount of equity is is the risk of a takeover of Tesla without if he doesn't have 25 percent, you could have a hostile takeover could happen. Somebody else could get control of Tesla, which is hilarious because like Musk, there's absolutely no way 
And I mean, Musk can literally do anything he wants and the board, at least so far, has basically gone along with it. You know, owning multiple companies, posting crazy stuff, basically ignoring all sorts of government rules and regulations. You know, the board basically says yes to everything he does. So the idea that that that, that somehow like uh, some hostile, some investor could get a few percentage points and somehow, you know, take over is, is kind of insane. But of course, the, the board historically has just has basically rubber stamped everything Elon does because they've understood that a lot of the company's value is in this guy's personal brand and his personal identity. And it's unclear that Tesla would be better off. In fact, it's very likely that Tesla's stock price would, you know, sink like a rock if Elon Musk left. So like the board is sort of in a bind. Tesla always discloses the key man risk. They are highly dependent on his services. And until they have a clearly named number two, they always will be. And I think what's interesting about Elon and Tesla is that anytime anyone has kind of risen to be a potential number two, that person has been axed. J.B. Straubel, Zach Kirkhorn, Doug Field, John McNeil, Jerome Guillen, like all of the executives who were always kind of like rising stars. You thought, oh, maybe this is going to be the COO they've always needed. Once they've risen to that height, they've always left. And so I think secession planning remains a huge issue. And basically, yeah, Elon seems to be indicating like, give me more, give me 25% control or I'm out of here, or I'm going to start another startup. And that puts the board in a really difficult position. And, and like, if Elon Musk left, this would cease being an AI and robotics company. Like, right now, Tesla isn't a car company. It's an Elon Musk company. Because, you know, the shareholders believe that, like, somehow Elon Musk is going to, you know, you know, swallow up other industries. You know, uh, at, at various points, it's been different things, self-driving, robo-taxis, or whatever. If, if you just put an auto industry executive in charge of Tesla, it would be worth a lot less, like, way, way less. It sells fewer cars than the big car companies. And and it's worth many times more. And, and so like, that's like it, Tesla, the value only makes sense if it's an Elon Musk company. And I mean, we could, we, we talk about why that is maybe a questionable assumption, but it's one that investors, you know, by and large have bought into at the moment. Dan, can I just ask a stupid question? Like what, what isn't Elon's got tons of money. Why does he just use his money to go buy more shares? He's not liquid. I think that's the thing that we've all deduced, right? Like he he's sort of this oddly he's this odd person in that he's the wealthiest person on the planet, but he does not have like liquid assets. He doesn't have like cash in a bank account. And he's, he sold all his homes already. So he, that's not an option. He, yeah, he doesn't ha he doesn't have homes. I mean, he's got a jet, but he doesn't have homes. He doesn't have a yacht. He owns he's he's running six companies. He had to sell Tesla shares to complete the deal on X. Now he's got to service the debt. And, you know, he's like basically banging his fist like, I want more control. Like, you know, he's bummed out that he's down to 12 percent. Well, that's his own fault. And it's like just crazy to me, too. Like, OK, like, does Tim Cook have five other companies? No. Like, you know, usually the CEO is like singularly focused on the company at hand. And Elon never is. And yet that's been OK because the stock has largely done well over these past several years. But like on no other planet does someone basically say, I want more control of, a, of this company. But by the way, like I'm not going to be a full time CEO and I'm going to do all these other things and you're just going to have to live with it. All right. We'll leave it there. Davey, Max, Dana, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Elonic. Always a pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. This episode of Elon Inc. was produced by Stacey Wong. 
Naomi Shaven and Rehan Harmanchi are our senior editors. The idea for this very show also came from Rehan. Blake Maples handles engineering, and we get special editing assistance from Jeff Grocott. Our supervising producer is Magnus Henriksen. The Elon Inc. theme is written and performed by Taka Yazazawa and Alex Segura. Sage Bauman is the head of Bloomberg Podcast and our executive producer. I'm Joel Weber, filling in for David Papadopoulos, who will hopefully be back next week. If you have a minute, please rate and review our show. It'll help other listeners find us. See you next week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.